How We Got Here with Christina Best and Christopher McClellan. Brought to you by Anthem. So, Christina, we're doing a a season wrap-up show. What's that all about? Well, Chris, we decided to take this opportunity to reflect on season one and all the wonderful conversations had. And we wanted to take this opportunity as well to bring in our producer, Bill Odman, who we have mentioned at the end of every episode. We thought we, you know, we thought we'd give him a chance to talk and now you guys will know what his voice sounds like. Well, I guess technically, by the way, people do know what it sounds like because he does our intro recording. He's the one that says how we got here at the beginning of every show. But really excited for everyone to get the chance to get introduced to Bill in this way. Because Bill's been on the sidelines here while listening to all the podcasts uh, that we've created. And he has he has some really keen insight from the production standpoint of all <laughs> he the He raised his eyebrows. His eyes got big when you said that. Does yeah. he have insight? We will see. He has a lot of insight. I've known Bill for over 30 years and I, I trust his insights. They're not Bill, just any. They're not just, they're any, not just insights. any insights. They're keen <laughs> They are keen <laughs> insights. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> what a riot. Oh, I'm, oh my God. I just have to. It is a pleasure to be behind the microphone with the Welcome two of Bill. you. Welcome, Bill. With the, the two of you. Downtown studios of St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> They're never not posh. Of Oddvox Productions in St. Louis, Missouri. That's right. Yeah. I am so not is, overlooking the Gateway Arch, by the way, which is something I meant to correct many moons ago. But it, oh, well. it, uh, I overlook Tucker and Washington. <laughs> That's what I overlook. Yeah, it's well, a pretty cool, I, it's a cool corner to be on. <laughs> Struck him speechless there. Now he doesn't know what to say. We that's never that rarely happens. I'm going to encourage all the listeners to Google <laughs> Tucker and Washington. Wa- Tucker and Washington. <laughs> Just so we can place ourselves. Where right, right there, and then that's right, right there. Yeah, that, you can use Google that. View, Street View, so people Street can View, really right. immerse themselves. The Bogan, which is where I live, is it's a beautiful building on the outside. That's one of the things that's unappreciated about St. Louis is all of the really cool architecture, which is mostly in the details, all over St. Louis. So this is a, it's a very nice looking building, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Well, as you both know, I put together a couple questions for us to review, but I'm going to surprise Bill with a question because I'm a master interviewer and this just came into my head as we... And he has keen insights. And he has keen insights and I want to hear them. So, you know, Chris and I have obviously gotten a lot of opportunities to share uh, anecdotes about our caregiving experiences. So I was wondering if you wanted to take a moment to let the listeners know a little bit more about you and your relationship to caregiving and, and this topic. Well, thank you. That is a surprise question. I wasn't expecting to have to answer that one, but I will. Oh, thank you. The one that comes to mind most, I mean, I've done caregiving here and there, like a partner has been sick, but the types of caregiving that I think we're talking about uh, oftentimes are are really long or longer periods of caregiving, drawn out periods of caregiving where we either have someone who has a terminal illness that we're caring for or someone who is dying. I think those are the two that really, really come to mind, you know, and all the stuff that we have talked about both here and, and elsewhere as I've been involved in other podcasts. 
For me, the most recent really was caregiving for the caregiver, which was helping my brother Christopher, who's the youngest of the four of us, work through various and sundry issues with my mom, who was in a nursing home out in Reseda, California. Very recently in January, we went through her whole end of life transition. That was her life transition occurred on January 12th um, of this year. And there were things that I had to bring to the table for Chris that he wasn't aware of them. One of them being hospice, wasn't aware of hospice care. I think he'd heard of it, but he didn't really know what it was. But just being there and effectively caring for him because, you know, Chris was the local caregiver for mom, even though she was in a nursing home. Chris was there three, four times a week sometimes with her at least once a week to wash her hair and to take care of her early on. And she was in that nursing home for about about eight years, maybe eight years and a little change. And, you know, we got to see her go from really having more f- physical issues. She, she was not able to walk. And I would call it dementia, not Alzheimer's. It was really more dementia related kinds of stuff to having a couple strokes to finally, we think that it was not COVID, even though she had tested positive for COVID after months of not testing positive, she finally tested positive for COVID. And right before the holidays, she went into the COVID unit. And then we think on January 2nd that she actually had another stroke and uh, her life 10 days later, she, she passed, but, but we did that with hospice and, and with the nursing home staff that we had come to know over the years, particularly Chris and his wife, Susie had gotten to know over the years. I mean, I got to participate in mom's caregiving when I was able to be present there because it was long distance. But I think more than that, I was kind of a caregiver to a caregiver, right? I kind of took care of Chris through that whole process. And, and when I went back out in February, when we, when we, buried both her cremains and my dad's cremains together, you know, I was able to be that for him. So, I mean, that's one very recent kind of caregiving thing, a little different than we've talked about on the show before, where you've got a lot of direct caregiving going on, you know, and there were trips out to California throughout her time there that were specifically because there were issues that had to be dealt with. I worked with both her and Chris to get through those. Having a background in healthcare, even though my background is in healthcare IT, having been in a leadership role and worked with leadership in hospitals and in home health and hospice, which I did for 14 years, you know, I was able to, to, to see behind the curtain as it were, right. To look at and to know what, what some of the dynamics were that were going on that Chris and my mom, neither of them would have had any idea about. So Hopefully that was, that was helpful. Well, thank you. So I don't know. That was a lot. Sorry. Well, our listeners, no apologies needed. I mean, I don't think any of our listeners would be aware of what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, certainly Chris has probably played an active role in, I would imagine, this Chris, our Chris, in your life throughout this process, but me being brought into this dynamic with the two of you and all of this happening at the beginning of the year. I've obviously been privy to some of that information, but I appreciate you sharing it with us today. Happily. And I will, I also jump in here and say that Bill also was a caregiver many years ago to his grandmother. Yeah, I was. And took care of her very beautifully. Gave his grandmother a beautiful sunset that she would not have had 
because she would have otherwise have been alone. That's correct. And we all step up at times when we least expect it. Yep, we do. Which has been a theme, I might add, throughout the season. Caregiving is one of those things that happens to us, right? Mm -hmm. It's more like, even though we have to make a choice about it, and I'm thinking back to what Amy Goyer said about that in her episode, you know, we are presented with a situation and we either respond to it or we don't. And I think the vast majority of us do respond. I couldn't help but be reminded that the when you began to share all of that with us was also our conversation with Alex. And I believe it was toward the end of our conversation when she was talking about the caring for the caregiver and that network uh, of people that surround any given person who is caring for someone else. And, and I think that there are different roles in all of that. And it seems like with one of our guests, we talked about the different roles in caregiving and how some folks are able to be right in there and actually doing the caregiving and others, you know, have other responsibilities like doing laundry or doing this or doing that or, you know, that they're not necessarily the frontline caregiver, but they're supporting the caregiver. And I'm grateful to have been able to do that for Chris, my brother Chris. So there you go. <laughs> Support comes in many different uh, shapes and sizes and forms. And it can be somebody that's next door. Or it could be somebody across the state. It can be something physical, part of the care team, or it can be emotional as part of emotional support. I will say one of my hopes going into this podcast and ongoing is that I hope that by having these conversations, as we're having today and with our guests, is that it empowers people to think about that, you know, maybe that extraneous role that they do play within someone's life and like really think about it and think about it in a positive and empowered way. I have to agree with that. I mean, I think that we as family members at one point or another are going to be called on to do this um, at some point or another in our lives, whether it's with a family member or whether it's with a partner or whatever. And, and even in the workplace, uh, oftentimes in my role as a manager, I often found myself caregiving in, in a supportive way, one way or another, or trying to help you know folks through issues. We all do it in one way or another. We just haven't really put a name to it necessarily like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that certainly our focus has really been on the one-on-one -on -one caregiving of it, but it's very broad. It's very broad. I think one of the uh, common themes for the for the entire season, uh, it had been mentioned, well, was there an episode or something that really stuck out? There was something in every episode that stuck out. And I think throughout the summer, as we go through our break and plan for next season, you know, we'll be sending some snippets out for, for our listeners to kind of take in. But if there was one common theme that I would mention for myself and, and listening to everybody is that their willingness to share their most personal and intimate and deep stories uh, about their experience. Right. And I know I'm kind of a broken record here when I say this, mm -hmm. but it's very true. It's, it's through story sharing where diversity meets the road to collaborate on a common cause. That should have been this season's tagline. Well. I, I can let you borrow it for a period of time. <laughs> Thanks. But no, that, and I, I think that's the that's the reason why, you know, people like myself who have 
long past caregiving, seven some some odd years, looking like I'm going to end up being another in another caregiving situation. But you stay in it because of the because you know that you reach people, and you know that those stories that. In most cases, you may not have anything in common with somebody. Yet, when you share the story, you share that caregiving story, there's an instant bonding that you understand that that person, you may be from, it may be a different color, different gender, different orientation, but caregiving is indiscriminate. And I think that is what, from talking to all of our guests, Male, female, different cultures, different backgrounds. They all shared that. They all shared that passion. I would say, too, the the story sharing thing, the relevance, too. I mean, these stories are always relevant. I think of my own journey with my father's death being 10 years ago. That's a a relatively long time ago for someone who's only 32. It's like a third of my life nearly, but me sharing that experience is still relevant today for me to connect uh, with others. Um, And same for your experience, Chris and Bill too. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking when Chris was talking about Richard Louie relaying the conversation that he had had with his boss about about having to make some changes in in his role at MSNBC and what was he going to do? Because like he had pointed out so many times during you know, that part of the conversation, it was like, look, you know, it's kind of like either you're here being a correspondent or you're not, <laughs> right? And I think he was approaching that conversation with some trepidation and, and his boss's response was, well, as a matter of fact, I'm a long distance caregiver as well, right? So there was an instant connection there between the two of them and it allowed them to work to, to collaborate, right, together to work to a solution for him that was, allowed him to continue doing what he's doing, the work that he's doing um, with them, but also care for his dad on the West Coast. So I think that's a perfectly great example of that. And I think there have been others too, as we've talked. It's like there's a common language mm-hmm. of caregiving. Right. And, and it, it, the awareness of caregiving now is very prevalent, both in society, in the workplace, because people have been talking about it. I mean, right. You go back, you go back, now, uh, 10 or 11 years when I first signed on to caregiving.com, you know, there was a community with, there was a community there, but the broad conversation of caregiving really hadn't started to happen yet. Right. And it kind of bore itself out because as you were talking about Richard Louis, Bill, I th- kept thinking, of, I thought about uh, Sarah, mm-hmm. different, they're in the same profession, media, television right. news from different generations, yet she ended up having to have that same conversation with with her supervisors. Right. And having the ability to have that conversation is paramount to finding the solution to the situation that you're in. And they were, those are two perfect examples of people from similar backgrounds at different generations that had the willingness to have that conversation. And it it made it just a tad bit easier for them. Well, and I can tell you 25 years ago, it was much more difficult to have that kind of conversation. I mean, I remember having the conversation with my boss about needing to take my grandmother on a daily basis to radiation treatments daily and how I was going to work that out in my schedule. 
that was a kind of a hard conversation to have, not just because my boss was who he was, but also because at that point in time, you didn't, those weren't conversations that you normally had. You dealt with it and it didn't come up as part of the job. If that makes any sense. But that was, and that was 25 years ago. Nowadays, I think that it's much easier to have that conversation. When I had to get on an airplane and go to Alaska at the last minute, a couple of years, two, three years ago, to be with my brother John, who was going through some difficulties, there, there was no question for my, my boss at the time. He was like, go, go do that. You need to do that. Much different. Certainly feels like, and I obviously, I've only been a professional or, you know, in a career for five to seven years or so. So I can't speak to what it was like, but I certainly feel like there's been a seismic shift. Maybe you both can speak more to that, but it certainly seems like it's getting easier for people to talk about and acknowledge, in this case, caregiving experiences and the requirements of said role, especially within workplace settings. I hope that that trend is happening. And we've ta- I think we've touched on that a couple of times throughout the season too, the way that the pandemic has changed our modus operandi toward, you know, what is work? What should we be required? What, or what should employers require of their employees? And how much, how much time do we really need to be putting in toward our work? Or can there be some flexibility? Uh, so it, it certainly seems, again, that those conversations are are happening and certainly have been accelerated through the pandemic. And employees, as they look at opportunities for for employers, they're they're asking that question. what what is your what is your time off? Rules and regulations, benefits? People are being people are are more self-aware that, yeah, they have some responsibilities at home. And the pandemic has changed the way people think. I hope that people are getting more bold, uh, if that's the, I think that's the right word, that people are owning their personal lives and saying, no, like, I'm not going to be ashamed of what I'm going through. I'm not going to hide that part of myself. I'll share as much as I'm comfortable, but this is obviously a huge part of who you are. Caregiving is. Yeah, I would have to say, are they laying claim to it? Are they claiming it? Because I think that, so a couple things just off the top of my head here, the whole concept of work-life balance was something that kind of came into being, at least in my workspace, which was in in healthcare in the early aughts, well, in the mid-aughts. So 2005-ish people, a lot of people were talking about work-life balance and making sure that they were taking their time off and all of that because people felt guilty oftentimes or afraid to take time off because they felt like either they weren't doing their job or they were going to be somehow held accountable for taking time off that they had earned. Okay. Right. So somewhere along the way in past decades, it was drilled into their heads that you worked, right? And if you wanted to take time off, well, that was a sign of weakness. You didn't really want to be successful. Well, you know, now we talk about needing to take time off in order to be successful. There has to be a balance to it. In the environment that I was in, that I was privileged to manage, five hospitals, home health hospice, then nursing homes, you know, I had a lot of folks, managers and team members who who reported, you know, up through me. And I made it very clear that to folks that, look, if something comes up and you've got to do something, then you do it and we'll figure it out. 
because we're smart people and we can do that without having to lay to layer on it all of this other stuff about work ethic and all of that stuff that guilt well guilt which comes from the work ethic Mm -hmm. right um, all that stuff, it's like, are, are you getting your work done? And can we get the work done while this person who's a valuable contributing member of the team can't be present? And the answer was always, yeah, we can. We're going to figure this out. And I think that, you know, more and more folks are doing that. I also think that management's, you know, and I'm speaking now management in general and the collective distrust of working from home where they, they don't have eyeballs on every single employee in every single place that they're located all the time. I think, and I think there was a great deal of mistrust around that and particularly prior to the pandemic. I mean, part of the work-life balance thing was talking about working from home versus being in the office. Then there was, well, we're running out of office space and it's expensive. So we were being forced to do it. And, but, you know, I had a, a guy that I reported to most recently in the last five years who still mistrusted it. Well, what happens when folks can't come into work? What happens when they're deemed non-essential, but they still have stuff they need to do? Well, you could, they got to work from home and guess we're going to have to trust them now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's worked out for a lot of folks. And I think it's changing the face of, of what happens. And, and what that allows for people to do is to more comfortably, I think, be present, particularly if they're in a caregiving situation. Mm-hmm. Well said, Bill. Get to be present. So, was that a keen insight? It was a very oh my God. keen insight. It's a keen insight. <laughs> keen insight. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I think the ding, ding, ding is actually copyrighted by Armchair uh, Experts. So... I'll have, to, come I'll, have to come, I'll have to come up with a, with a suitable sound effect. Yeah, just insert something else there. Right. In post. Right, right, right. It can be a it can be a series of noises that Chris makes when he's not talking <laughs> that we just cobble together, right? I can think of a few, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> See, so all of our listeners should know what a happy band of little elves we are. <laughs> <laughs> we sure do have fun at Chris's expense. We sure do. <laughs> been going on for 64 years. Why stop now? <laughs> 64 years. You've really That's known right. Bill since you were a wee babe. I've known Bill. It probably since, feels like that. <laughs> I have known Bill since 1988 or 89. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Just the year I was born, 88. <laughs> so the year I was born, I mean, that was a magical year then if it was 88. Like, oh, you well, know, the universe it's all, doing it, its thing. Look, <laughs> you guys met and now look at us. I, I love our laughter together. I think it's great because we're talking about some pretty heavy stuff most of the time, or at least you guys are. There were some things that made me laugh, though. I was looking at this other question for all of you who can't see what I'm looking at. Christina is always good about preparing stuff for us to look at while we're talking to keep us on track. I'm looking at a question about what moments made you smile or laugh. The the one thing that part of what I was doing when I was listening to these episodes was I was trying to pick out, okay, what's the one thing about this episode that's just like really funny or just, you know, a quirk about it. Richard Louis business about pancakes. Okay. Yeah. He brings it up early in the conversation, like, right? He just mentions blueberry pancakes. He mentions blueberry pancakes, <laughs> right? But then suddenly it becomes this this little example or this metaphor. Pancakes become a metaphor for how people get along or don't and tolerance, right? Yeah. 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 
uh, blueberry versus blackberry pancakes. That that kind of made me laugh. I uh, <laughs> that was fun. I was not able, as was so uh, gently brought up during the last episode, episode ten with B.J. Miller, that I was it was M.I.A. <laughs> and that I well, if you think okay, before I go off on that, I'll just continue. Anyway, I noticed as I was reviewing the episode and editing it, B.J. <laughs> was using some words, some phrases that I had not heard in a very long time. Like right on. Harken, right on. Yeah, right on, right man, on. brother. And, and I, I just, and God love him. He is such a present, again, a presence, such a personality that, man, that worked great. And it just made me, because this is the language of the 70s, <laughs> the 60s, yeah, we, we late 60s, with early that. 70s. It's like, Absolutely. right on. When he started talking about the, talking like that, and I'm like, "Oh my God, you know, take me back." It's a little, so I had a little time warp moment while I was thinking about that or listening to that. Well, BJ's episode was the one I I was thinking of when I wrote that question. I love that he was our first so far and only guest when we asked him how he got here to actually answer that very started honestly birth. and directly. Yes. Pre-birth, really. He was like, I'm just joking. And then he's like, well, well, actually, I will tell you. It was a whole thing, the airport and my mom and right, dad. Right, right, and I was right, like, oh, right, right. We're going there. I love it. <laughs> and now nine months later, I'm here. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was pretty good. How about you, Chris? What made you laugh or what did you enjoy this season? Oh, goodness. I had, I enjoyed... I'm just going to be selfish. I enjoyed doing this with you. Oh. I when you say you, I I just assume me. <laughs> what I enjoyed about this, Christina, was doing it with you, because it really has been the first time that I have worked with a co-host before, and the valuable insight of having somebody there with you to talk with the guests that bring a different perspective from uh, my own was very thought-provoking. And it, uh, I think it allowed me to hone my skills a little bit and come up with better questions, conversation with the, uh, with the guest and our, uh, our natural banter. That, that Everybody's come to love, no doubt. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, I feel so grateful that you were willing to work with a co-host and that it was me. And for those who don't know, big surprise, this is my first time doing a podcast. So it means a lot to me that you welcomed me into this space and that it just, I think, went as well as it did. I know my, personally, my expectations working with you and what we could accomplish uh, in this first season, we're very high, and I think we've exceeded them. And if I may give ourselves a pat on the back, I think for co-hosts, we do a really great job at not talking over one another and the guests, which I feel like I've noticed in other podcasts I listen to. So I just think that that's something that makes us really special. I'm not going to talk over you now on that one, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking back to Alex and her and the way the two of you go back and forth with each other at the, at the beginning about, you know, and, you know, and I'm joined by, and then Christina, you're supposed to say Christina Best. And there were issues in the beginning with your, like remembering your cue and all that kind of business. And 
and you were commenting on how you had remembered your cue and you were really proud of yourself. And Alex pipes up and says, maybe we should just all cue each other. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was amusing. You two listen to one another. You can always tell if someone's not listening because they're interrupting. You're listening to each other and you're formulating what you want to say next after you've listened to each other, not before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just... so. You, you just hit a, uh, a funny nerve with me because I, I remember a funny saying nerve. this. Not you know, a I remember one. saying this in, in class one, one day <laughs> and I was in the seminary way back when I was very infrequently what I offer my, my comment. But in the middle of talking, somebody got, just got up and started interrupting me. And it's like, I just looked at him and I said, Pardon me for talking while you're interrupting. <laughs> it's, it stopped. It, I, it was so spontaneous because that's, you know, Bill would know this. I usually would not. I would not be that that confrontational. But it was like, wait a minute. I had something important to say. And I and think. I, I'm going to have to use that know, line. Oh, sorry. There I go interrupting. You're all right. Pardon me for talking while you're interrupting. So, <laughs> I was going to say I'm going to need to use that line with Ben sometimes, I think. <laughs> oh, well, all I ask is to make sure you tell him you didn't get it from me. Yeah, I'll say it and then I'll be like, trademark, Chris McClellan. Trademark. I cannot be held responsible to your reaction to me saying this. I'm just, I'm the That's messenger. Right. I'm just the messenger. Just the messenger. Chris is speaking through me right now. so. Oh, God, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Yeah, because you'll say things like episode. You'll say things that you don't need. You'll say or, things like, what? Goodness gracious, St. Ignatius. Goodness That's gracious, St. Right. Ignatius. Right. Which I do su- believe needs to end up on a t-shirt somewhere someday. Nothing su- succeeds like failure. <laughs> food for thought. <laughs> food for thought. Not keen insight, but food Something. for thought. <laughs> that was not a keen insight. There was something, though, that did come to mind that we haven't talked about yet, and I want to make sure we do, because it was apparent to me as I was going through the episodes again, and that is the focus for these conversations for you guys working, you know, with each other here, obviously, is caregiving, right? The focus is on the folks who are caregiving, but they're also, and, and on their supporters, right, the folks who support them in caregiving, but the other thing that that the focus is on, too, is the patient, and there was quite a bit of discussion most recently in BJ's, in the conversation you guys had with BJ, uh, in conversations with Alex, in conversations with Shoshana, and other, there were a couple other physicians that we Jessica. had comments with, where, and Jessica, thank you, where it's like, where it's like, look, you know, we're treating a human being here. We're not treating the pathology. As a matter of fact, that's almost a direct quote of something BJ said, is that this isn't a pathology before us. It's a human being that we're working with. It was Jay's episode where Jay was talking about the idea of, and we talk about how important storytelling is, just to bring that back kind of into the mix. But Jay talked about needing to tell her dad's story to her caregivers, to her perfect, to, to his professional caregivers, so that they understood where he was coming from and what his history is. So I think that there was quite a bit of discussion around what patients need. And something that occurred to me while I was listening to some of this was that, you know, if a patient is well cared for in in the sense that we take the time to understand who the patient is 
and they're not just a disease or a diagnosis or whatever, it makes it, it makes the life a lot easier on the caregiver because the patient can, may tend to respond better and things like that. I just think that there's a connection there. So I thought some of that was valuable too. And as we look to season two, and that was something that was, I don't think we intended to necessarily talk about. You know, when you're talking about palliative care, you're talking about the patient. It's not the caregiver doesn't need the palliative care. The patient does. <laughs> and so I think that we might want to be a little more intentional about also talking about how we treat patients as well as we, we move into the second season. I agree. And I, I think that as I think towards season two as well, you know, you start out planning for a completely new show and concepting it. And I think probably we we expected to talk more about the caregiving journey specifically, but I'm very happy, as I think we all are, with all of the conversations that we oh, had. Yeah. And to your point, Bill, talking about the patient too. I mean, it's all it's all a part of this broader conversation about caregiving and, and all the myriad connections there are to the caregiving experience, like healthcare being one. So I look forward to continuing to have those types of conversations for season two and hopefully continuing to hone into on, on some more specific stories around caregiving for folks who are willing to continue to be even more open and honest about their journeys with us. Chris, that's your cue to say something erudite. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying not to interrupt. You're trying a little too hard now, Chris. I'm trying a little too hard. Yeah. No, I, I think every story is important and have, giving people the opportunity to talk about their experience. And whether or not we focus on palliative care, hospice, new caregivers, millennials, we're all talking the same subject that are that is impacting over fifty million people just in the United States alone. And I think that's a I think that's a low number. And as I've been privileged over the last ten years to talk with people from all over the all over the world about this caregiving gig, we find that common thread of love, care, and commitment with each other. Well, I'm reminded of a, a piece you recently wrote for us, Chris, that I selected the title from what you wrote, which is We're All on the Same Caregiving Ship. I thought that mm -hmm. was so well put. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, there's a lot of political unrest in the world today, and that's been going on for a few years. Uh, a lot of discrimination, a lot of people uneasy about where they are in life. When you have these conversations about caregiving and you talk to people that come from different walks of life that just want to care for the person that is entrusted with their care. And I, you know, I oftentimes I use the generic word, the care partner. But in this terms, you just want to care for the person that you love. Those barriers are broken down during those raw moments. And all of a sudden, you know what? You're not black, you're not white, you're not gay, you're not straight, you're not Asian, you're not Puerto Rican, you're a caregiver. And there is no greater community to be a part of because there's no barriers, there's no boundaries. And I have not met one person in my entire experience as an advocate or as a caregiver that has ever thought it was not right for someone to care for another person, especially at the time when life transitions. I'm sure there's out there. Maybe I'll meet one. I'll be surprised. 
but that's what binds. If we could take the attitude and the philosophy and the commitment of the caregiving community and take that globally, the world's going to be a better place. <laughs> and just on a side note, I we were talking earlier about employee employers who wouldn't want to hire a caregiver. Mm-hmm. Caregivers are the most dedicated person that you could ever hire. Sure, you might have to adjust their schedule a little bit because you know what? There's going to be an emergency. They're going to need to drop whatever they're doing and take their grandmother to radiation. Or they're going to have to respond to a call from their their hired help in the home mm-hmm. because there's an emergency. It's okay. Because caregivers are the backbone of our healthcare system and our society. And if we can incorporate their attitudes into what has filtered into society over the last five or six years, we're going to be in a much healthier position moving forward for folks like Christina, who are of such a beautiful age of half of 64. I so I hope when you're at 64 that you see all these changes that we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And I'll be watching I'll be watching you from Spain even if I would be <laughs> 128 but you know. <laughs> so, Christina, that was a keen insight. Keen insight. <laughs> we'll need that bell or whatever it is yeah. I'm going to be using. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. Yeah, well said, Chris. And Very well said. You could just say, oh, Christopher. Oh, Christopher. <laughs> Gotta get that little we too, musical. We, you know. we know too many of our own secrets. So, so there you go. There you Christina. go. So that's a, a, is that a wrap of season one? Is that a wrap? Is that a wrap? I, I think that's good. Unless there's anything else you all, you folks wanted to talk about, touch on. I think for me, I just generally, again, being my first time doing a podcast, I wasn't really sure what to expect out of the conversations, but was to your point or what you mentioned earlier in our conversation, Chris, was just so delighted and pleasantly surprised by how personal people were willing to get and how much people were willing to share with us. Many of these folks, not necessarily having a personal relationship with us, were still present and brought their full selves to these conversations and so grateful for that. And I would encourage all of our listeners uh, on how we got here to uh, if you have some suggestions for guests or topics, email them to Christina at caregiving.com. <laughs> and uh, you have some topics that we would want to cover. We want to hear from you. And I think we'll probably be back with new episodes uh, later on this fall. Would that, would that be a safe bet to Christina and Bill? Sure. We'll be discussing that offline. We'll <laughs> we be, will figure that out. But let's say... We've already discussed that offline. <laughs> let's say late fall, but... Let's say late fall. Late fall. And, late yeah, fall, preparation I was, for. I was expecting him to say early summer, at which point I was going to make a face <laughs> that I don't have to make now. But no. I think that late summer, fall. We will be remaining active this break. And I, I did want to mention one project in particular I know we, we have in the works, or maybe I know we have in the works, and this might be new to both of you, but <laughs> I, I 
think that we'll be giving listeners and anyone who's a current or former caregiver for that matter, the opportunity to answer our proverbial question, how did you get here? I certainly have had a lot of people reach out to me about being on the show since we started. And so I want to make sure that we're giving everyone the opportunity to share their story. So that's, you'll be able to find the details on that coming soon on social media. And we want to thank our sponsor for season one, Anthem, for being a a major part of our program and certainly our executive producer in the posh studios of downtown St. Louis on Tucker and Washington, not overlooking the arch in St. Louis, Bill Ogden. (laughs) And if I can just throw a plug in um, for me, you can follow me on Healing Ties 2.0 on UKHealthRadio.com. And the whole care network. And I want to make sure that we also thank individually each of our guests. So thank you to Jessica Zitter, Alexandra Drain, Ken Stern, Richard Louie, Shoshana Ungerleiter, Ido Bannock, Amy Goyer, Aisha Adkins, Jay Newton Small, Sarah Trott, and BJ Miller. Thank you all so much for believing in our new little project. Uh, we were so happy uh, to have you be a part of it. And I want to thank the both of you for being so easy to work with, but also for inviting me on today to talk with y'all and participate in the conversation. So I really appreciated being able to do that. Well, you're just such a pleasure, and I wanted people to have the opportunity to experience you. (laughs) Keen insights. And as I remember, (laughs) to remind people to please subscribe to How We Got Here, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, And to rate us, please, because folks do pay attention to that, and comment so that we can not just have new suggestions for shows, but hear what you think about what we're doing and all of that. I think that would be good. So please do that. Subscribe, rate, and comment wherever it is, as another podcast host likes to say, wherever it is you hoard your podcasts. (laughs) I like that. Also, in addition to the rating, subscribing, and commenting. commenting. That's, I had to repeat that in my head. Those three things. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are How We Got Here Pod on Twitter and Facebook and HWGH, the podcast on Instagram. As we mentioned, we will be active during the period between uh, season one and season two. So lots of n- new, fun insights and information, no doubt, will be shared there. Don't want to miss it. Don't want to miss it. That's what people say, right? My compelling call to action. That's your compelling (laughs) call to action. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Christina and Christopher. Well, and we'll see you for another episode of How We Got Here real soon. Thanks for listening. How We Got Here. Proudly sponsored by Anthem for caregiving.com and the Whole Care Network.